0: I don't know if you've ever really given much thought to this, but when you experience something awesome, sharing it with other people makes it more awesome. Now, maybe you've never really just thought about it, but you instinctively do it. I instinctively do it. Every time something that amazes us, delights us, surprises us, we just instinctively look at other people and go, oh, look at this, this is great. Um, my kids do it in the summer. Anytime it gets remotely within two weeks of the 4th of July, there's somebody in town setting off fireworks, and anytime they hear it, see it, come to the window, they'll have to go and see that kind of stuff. Um, I do it with kind of dumb jokes and memes that I find online. Um, If there's something that makes me chuckle, I'm probably going to send it to somebody. Um, That's just how it goes. And I'm sure there's people that are like, oh my gosh, does he do anything else all day but send stupid things to people? And they're probably tired of it. But uh, it's just something about sharing it that makes it better. It makes the joke a little funnier to you. Um, Like I said, kids do this all the time. Um, How many times, if you're a parent, how many times have you heard, watch this? Watch me, Mom. Watch me, Dad. Hey, look at this. And then if they don't pull it off just quite the right way, they say, oh, that wasn't it. Hold on. Watch it again. And you get to watch it again. Eleanor's been super into practicing cartwheels lately. And she does about a million a day. And she thinks Abby and I need to see every single one. And, and there's that thing you do where she starts to do a cartwheel and it's like she's done. And like you're kind of like, okay, I'm on to something else because this is the 20th cartwheel I've seen. And But after she gets done and she looks at you, she sees that you're not looking. He's like, didn't you watch it? I'm like, I did. I just looked away too fast, and you caught me looking like I wasn't looking. And so then like, well, hold on. Watch one more. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll watch one more if I have to. Um, I remember when James was about four years old, um, he and Jude had dragged all the cushions off the couch and made a big pile, and they were kind of jumping off the couch onto him and running into him. Nothing too crazy. And then James gets up on the couch and does a perfect flip into the cushions. And like, instinctively, I was like, that was awesome. Like, there's like a proud dad moment, like, I couldn't do that. Good for him. But then there's another part of me that's like, I'm glad he's alive. I can never let him do that again. And so, um, but, but as I'm like processing this, he lands, sits up, and he's like, dad, did you see that? And I'm like, okay, how do I respond with this? Because it's like, yes, it was really cool, but no, no, no more of that. Yeah, you know, I kind of had to like, I didn't want to like squash it because it I mean, that was impressive, right? Um, and just the other day, Jude gave me a, Dad, look at this. And I look over, and we have a sectional in our uh, living room. And he is, like, perched between two different parts of the couch, like, diagonal, by only the top of his head and the bottom of his toes. And he's just, like, straight as an arrow. And I was like, that is pretty cool. I didn't know he had the muscle in there, to hold himself perfectly straight by just his like neck to his ankles, it was pretty impressed you know i 'm um, just going to say I guess he gets those muscles from his dad, um, but there are there 's just something that 's joyful about sharing you know there 's something that is exciting when you have something that delights you and you get to find somebody to kind of spread that delight to. Um, Now, today we are in, or today, tonight really, we are in the the, kind of the middle of this series we've been looking at um, where we've been talking about Christmas and the original songs, the original Christmas carols that find their way into the Christmas story. Um, The first song we looked at a few weeks ago was the song that Mary sang after she was told that she would not only um, be living when this long-awaited Messiah showed up, but she would be his mother. And, and she sings a song about how good God is and how good he is to her by including her in his plan. Um, last week, we looked at uh, the second song, which was by a guy named Zechariah, who gets totally overlooked on the Christmas story. He's not in anybody's manger scenes or nativity scenes, um, but he was the father of John the Baptizer. And after John is born, he sings a song, also singing about how good God is um, for doing this work and coming through on his promise that he's made to the people for through centuries and centuries of promises that this Messiah would come. Now, today we're going to look at the shortest song in the Christmas story. In fact, as we read it, you would probably be like, that's not much of a song. That's like a line. Um, But it might be the shortest song in the Bible. I didn't know how to search for that. Um, But it might be the shortest song in the Bible. But either way, it's sung by a choir of angels, a group of angels in Luke chapter 2. But before we get to the song part, we're going to kind of back up and kind of get the full picture of what's going on here. So we'll start in Luke chapter 9, or sorry, Luke chapter 2. We'll read from verse 6 through verse 9. And it's talking about how Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem and Jesus is born. It says in verse 6 And while they were there, Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. So we pick up the story Right as Jesus is born, right? And Mary wraps him in some swaddling cloths, which probably indicates kind of a lonely birth story. Um, it shows that she wasn't rich enough to have any servants like some people often had to help with this kind of thing. They were poor. Um, it means they might not have had a lot of family traveling with them because she had to wrap her own baby after just giving birth to this baby. Like, you could give birth now in a, in a modern hospital... That baby's like whoosh, wished away. That heel is pricked. The blood is taken. They're wiped off. They have his nurses are flipping that little guy one way over and the other. And you're just standing there, like in shock, that there's this little newborn human that's now yours to take care of. But Mary had to do all that because apparently, like every other modern man in a delivery room, Joseph was worthless and didn't seem to be doing anything. So the angel, So so here's this, like we have this this moment. And what's interesting? Okay, like in every Nativity scene, there's always this little, like, barn that goes with it, right? There wasn't mention of a barn. Like, this is one of those things, like, we've heard this story so many times, like, we, we have a picture of it that might not be accurate. Um, this manger was a, a feeding trough. Um, James, in preschool, his uh, preschool teacher, they said, what's a feeding trough? Because you know, some kids weren't farm kids, right? My kids included. And so she said, it was a, it's like a cow cereal bowl. Right, and and he that that worked. I've always it's cow cereal bowl, and so um, but like like it might not have been in a stable in a barn. It might have been the one that's just sitting out where the animals come to eat. So this could have been her giving birth in open air. We don't really know um, too much about the details of that, and so then the story shifts from Bethlehem where Mary's having birth to somewhere outside in the same region, somewhere in the vicinity, there's some shepherds out in the middle of nowhere walking their sheep around, um, keeping watch over their flock so the animals didn't get after them, right? And, and again, we've heard this story so many times. Like, we picture shepherds. In fact, um, any Christmas play that you've ever seen, kids, they've got a towel with like a rubber band around their head, and they're the cute little shepherd. And, the, we, and, and because we've seen kids be shepherds more than anything else, we think, nice little shepherds. What wonderful little shepherds. But what's interesting is in the ancient world, shepherds had kind of a a shady reputation. And so them being in this story is really kind of weird. In fact, of all the people in the Christmas story, these, this is like a really like, like a record scratch, like takes you out of the story kind of a moment um, because um, they had again, not a great reputation. For one, their job of being around animals and being outside all the time, it kept them, according to Jewish law, ceremonially unclean, which the important religious people were very took very seriously. And so you had all these dirty, unclean uh, shepherds. Um, but also, they traveled around because they needed to have their sheep in fresh, f- fresh grass all the time so they could keep eating. And so as they traveled, they'd pass by different little towns that were you know, kind of dotted all over the countryside. And some shepherds had gotten the, uh, the unfortunate habit of just going into the cities and then taking stuff on their way by. And so shepherds were not very good people in that sense. Uh, at least they had the bad reputation. Not all shepherds, I'm sure, were that way. Um, but they would sneak into a town, take a few things, and then move their little Flock along before they got caught. It was kind of a nice little uh, operation some of them had set up. Um, now, again, we don't know anything about these particular shepherds, but we know that, like, just jumping into the story, like, here were some shepherds. Everybody in the ancient world would be like, oh gosh, not these guys. Like, why would you bring these guys into this cute story about a baby? And so they were one of the more despised groups in that culture. And it is so weird that they are the first ones to be told. That the Messiah had been born. That this that this long-awaited person, the Savior of Israel, the Savior of mankind, was finally actually here. Why would they be told? And you know, for all the, the weirdness in this story, because you got virgins getting pregnant, you got old ladies getting pregnant, you've, you've got all kinds of stuff happening, this might have been the thing that people in the ancient world had the biggest problem with, um, because Like, why? Like, why would an angel possibly visit them? Because they have really nothing else to do with the story. If you take this whole chunk about shepherds out, it plays out pretty well the same. Like, Mary still has a baby. Jesus still goes on to be Savior of the world. Everything kind of plays out the same way. What is, it makes no sense. And why would they get visited by angels? It makes sense why everybody else gets a visit from angels. Mary gets a visit from an angel because she's not only going to give birth to the Messiah, she's going to raise the kid and, you know, it's like, okay, don't screw up God's kid. Oh, okay. You know, so she gets one. Joseph gets a visit from an angel because he needs to be reassured that this is God's doing, his, his engaged fiancé, you know, that she's pregnant and it's God's doing and not her, you know, running around. So he, need, he, he deserves to be there too. But why do these guys who have nothing to do with the story get to be a part of this at all? They're not going to have a baby. They're not going to raise him. They're not going to have a meaningful role in his life at all. But I think the reason why they are the first ones to hear the amazing, awesome news is because it shows the kind of people that Jesus came to save and the kind of kingdom that he came to bring into the world. Because Jesus wanted to change the way we humaned. He wanted to change the way we lived life and looked at the world. He wanted us to have a kingdom that wasn't like any other kingdom in the world. And he didn't come for the prestigious or the powerful. He didn't come for the proud and the perfect. He didn't come to elevate the rich or the popular. That is how. Every nation and kingdom throughout the history of the world has ever operated. And Jesus' kingdom was going to be different than anything the world had ever seen. He came to elevate the humble, the ignored, the broken, the hurting. He came to to elevate the overlooked, the people that everyone else ignored. And ultimately, it's easy for Christians, unfortunately, to not relate to that at all. We have gotten so in line with how just the world works that we um, fall into the uh, of, of valuing the same things that every other people in the world has ever valued rather than um, the humble the lowly and being servant-minded I mean Christians have fallen into traps in in uh, over time of, of Again, seeking the same power, seeking the same uh, hunger for popularity. We'll believe politicians when they claim that if they get elected, they'll make sure that Christians have a voice, that Christians can be more powerful, as if that's what Jesus came to make us do. Um, We believe in the nonsense of our current age that tells us that happiness and wealth are things that you should chase no matter the cost, as if Jesus' sole purpose was to come to make our lives easy and happy and, and perfectly healthy all the time. Jesus was never as concerned with being socially powerful or accepting of of this kind of elevation as we seem to be sometimes. His kingdom was to be totally upside down from the way everything else works. And by the fact that he allows the shepherds to be the first ones kind of brought into this little circle of knowing that he came into the world, um, we see that Jesus didn't come to be powerful or, or mighty in the traditional sense. He didn't come so we could have uh, amazing social influence. Jesus' kingdom would, would be a place where the, those who had power used it to serve the powerless rather than themselves. It would be a place where the rich used their wealth to care for the poor, a place where the influential would use their voices to champion those who had no voice of their own. And it's a kingdom where even the dirty, disgusting, overlooked shepherds got a seat at the table. It was incredibly different than what anyone else had heard. And so these shepherds are out there just doing their thing. I don't know if they took turns sleeping. We don't even really know how many of them there were. It could have just been two guys because all we know it was shepherds. So... We know that's more than one. That's all the detail we get. So they could have been taking terms. You watch, take the first watch. I'll take the second watch. We don't really know. But this angel shows up, and they have the exact same reaction that everyone else, whoever has an encounter with an angel, has. They are utterly and totally scared to death, which, um, yeah, why not? I mean, there's stories where angels show up in you know cities, are gone the next day. So I mean, yeah, that's probably not a bad first reaction to have. And so they visit him. And so because they have, they are fearful, they have something else to say. The angels always start with the same thing. Um, it says, the angel said to them, fear not, calm down. This isn't one of those visits. Okay? Like when your mom's like, hey, come here, I want to talk to you. Oh, no. Like, they're like, it was, this, no, it's not like that. Like, it's kind of something different. Here. Be, Okay, so and they say, behold, like, okay, turn your fear off. I know you're scared. This is different. Not something that happens to you every day, but but pay attention. This is important. I bring you good news. That's a word that would be tied to Jesus for the rest of human history. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that little bit there, that's our song. That's the whole, that's all of it. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth uh, among those with whom he is pleased. So they tell him, hey, don't worry. This isn't a we've come to destroy your city kind of visit. This is a good visit. We're coming to tell you something amazing. And so after they tell him that Jesus comes, and what's really cool is this is the first time in the whole Christmas story where we actually get straight up told that Jesus is this long-awaited Savior. Like there's lots of hints, but this is where it first says he is the Christ. He's that one we've been waiting for. And then the angels tell him exactly how to go find this kid. Not a lot of kids apparently in cow cereal bowls. So when you find the one in the cow cereal bowl, that's the guy. That's how you know it's him. And then the one angel turns into a multitude of angels. A heavenly host is what it says. And this is another hint that Jesus's kingdom is going to be totally upside down because the word host is a word that typically meant army. Like if you look up what this word means in the dictionary of Bible words, it's like army. And, and, Typically, when an army showed up at your doorstep in the ancient world, it meant war, destruction, pain, fighting. But here, God sends his army to proclaim peace. It's totally backwards. It's totally upside down from what people. He comes to proclaim, not to destroy, not to condemn, but to proclaim this message of peace and hope and joy. And so Jesus came to make peace. That's what he came for between a broken humanity and the creator who loves them. And then it goes on, verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go see this. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now, This is a dumb thing and it's not in my notes. It just made me giggle earlier when I was reading this because I read it real fast. It's like Mary Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I was like, they're not all in the manger. Like, they wouldn't wouldn't all fit in the cow cereal bowl. Um, But um, it says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They're like, you're never gonna believe what just happened to us. You're never gonna believe the night that we've had. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So this army of angels disappears as quickly as it arrived, and the shepherds take up their invitation to go find this newborn. And again, we've heard the story so much. You can really grab a lot more stuff if you just like take a second and put yourself in their situation. Imagine being Mary. You've just had a baby. You're exhausted. You're sore. You've got that mixture of emotions from excitement to fear, uncertainty, all that stuff that's kind of tied into those beautiful moments. And then all of a sudden, you find out that someone took it upon themselves to invite a bunch of dirty, stinky shepherds into your delivery room. Like, what a weird, I mean, what a weird night for her. And, and you know, I mean, moms, think back to when you had your first child. Like, you're in the delivery room. We already talked about your husband was probably worthless. Maybe sitting against the wall, wall like, trying not to pass out, and all the nurses are taking more care of him than they are you. Um, that's happen- That's not uncommon. Um, I didn't. I was awesome, just to let that be known. I'm not, I'm not secretly talking about myself. I've done a lot of dumb things as a husband, but I came through. I didn't, like, deliver the kid on the side of the road or anything quite that awesome, but I was there. I was there through it all cut the umbilical cord and everything, did the whole thing, right? And so you're sitting there, your kid's just born, again, you're, you're confused, you're sore, you're in shock, all that stuff that goes along with it, and then you find out your father-in-law invited a bunch of like his buddies who spent all day shoveling manure, and they haven't washed their hands or taken a shower, and they get to come in and they just uh, pick up your kid. Like, that's like a horrifying scenario. Again, it's such a weird story and like what is so out of place. And so these shepherds arrive and not only do they kind of crash this party, but they say, hear what just happened to us. This is what just, we just had an encounter with an angel and Mary and Joseph have been like, oh yeah, I've been there. And they would have been like, okay, but here's how it happened to us. And they would have told this story. And And at this point we see that Mary and Joseph aren't alone, that more people have kind of gathered around and the shepherds are telling everybody and everybody who heard it was kind of blown away in awe and wonder just like they were Because the shepherds had been told that God was up to something amazing. And the first thing they did was went to see that something amazing. And the second thing they did was to start telling other people about it. They had to share that amazing thing that happened to them. Because sharing an amazing experience somehow makes it more amazing. And the story is so amazing that here we are 2,000 plus years later and we're still talking about it. We're still sharing this amazing story. And there's a lot of us here who have had our lives radically changed by an encounter with Jesus and by giving our lives to him, by walking with him and learning to live as citizens of his kingdom. We've learned the benefits of kind of fighting those inner desires that we all have to do the wrong thing at the wrong time um, and, and to do things that are against kind of our nature, things that are like serve and tell the truth and be kind and loving and generous to people, whether we know them or not. And, you know, to be honest, I don't always do great at those things. Like, I have been reading the Bible for a while. I know what God wants us to do. I know how he wants us to act. And there's plenty of times where I don't do very good. And so I kind of look at myself like, man, come on, you can do better than this. You're a minister. You should know better. And I you can, can kind of like get down on myself, and I, I think I'm kind of this undeserving person. And then I read a story like this where, no, he's like, oh, the undeserving people are the first ones in the door. The people that are broken and at the last in line, like they're the first ones that get to come in. And i met with this joyful reminder that God welcomes broken people like me with open arms. And that's why we talk about this, not just at Christmas, but every single Sunday. I come to stand up here and talk about this stuff. Because I think the best decision that we can make as human beings is to surrender our life to follow Jesus, to seek after him, and to be citizens of this kingdom that he's called us to be a part of and to learn to live as citizens of this kingdom. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever like, spent time abroad. Like, um, it's, I, I get a kick out of talking to um, people who do semesters overseas or missionaries who got to spend you know however many years, and they talk about the culture shock that exists both ways, both when they go there, and then they kind of spend a few years there, and they kind of settle in, and then they come back, and there's culture shock, right? Well, there should be a certain amount of shock for us as we learn to become kingdom or citizens of God's kingdom. It's a different place. It's a different world. The only difference is the kingdom shows up wherever we are. We don't have to travel to it. And we're called to change our values and to change the way we live and to change how we weigh right and wrong and to reorient our thinking according to the way God sees the world. And And for some of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, we've realized, man, we're not really always nailing it, but it's been one of the most amazing decisions that we could have ever made. And what's a misconception that a lot of people have about Christians, or at least how Christians see themselves, a lot of people think that we're here because we think we're better. That's usually the opposite for most Christians I know. Most people come to church on a regular basis because we know that we're a mess, we've been made aware that we are broken we've been made come front and center with the the bad decisions that we've made and and the regrets that we have in our past and we come not because we're awesome but because we know we're keenly aware of our need for a savior we're aware that we're broken and messy and we come to jesus because he's the one who welcomes in the broken and the messy and so that's the hope of the christmas story that wherever you are in life how, however Much your life is falling apart, which seems to be the story of our age, by the way. The more time goes on, more people are hurting and lonely and depressed and isolated. So whatever state of disrepair your life finds itself in, Jesus says, yeah, I know. Come on, I'll help you with that. Come here, I'll help you fix that. I'll help you put the pieces back together. Come be a citizen of my kingdom and I'll turn your world upside down. Because that's what Jesus came to do. And so... My invitation as we wrap up the year, it's really rare, by the way, for this Christmas Sunday to be the last Sunday of the year, but this is the the way it is this time. So as we wrap up the year, my encouragement to you would be to start next year with a a renewed determination to become a a better citizen of God's kingdom, to to at least devote yourself to to, to investing in what it means and surrendering your life to what it means to be a follower of Jesus in, in a deeper sense, wherever you might be. Um, the closer I get to Jesus, the farther away I feel. It's like, you know, when I was in high school, you used to look at these very godly people and it's like, man, hopefully in a few years I can be that godly. And then you get a few years down the road and it's like, oh man, this like 20 mile trip is like a 400 mile trip. And, it just, you feel, and it's just the way it feels as you become more aware of the goodness of God and you do a little more introspection and more aware of the brokenness that exists within you. But that's my challenge for you, my encouragement to you. Don't let another year go by of just existing. Investing, Invest in your life in 2023, which sounds weird to say. That's a weird year to say. Um, invest in your life so that you might be more like Jesus, or you might experience more deeply the transforming work of Jesus than you have at any point in your life. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the hope that we have through Jesus. We're grateful for the um, the promises that we, we receive through the coming of a Savior who came for the broken. And all throughout his ministry, Jesus kept modeling that, that he came for the people that everyone else overlooked, the people that everyone else hated, the people that had betrayed the people that truly were on the outside because they put themselves there because of how they've mistreated and hurt other people. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to, to understand that on the days where we don't have it all together, when things seem to be falling apart, that that's, those are the reasons why you came. You came arms open wide to rescue us from our brokenness, to save us from our, our backwards way of thinking so that you could turn our lives upside down and put things right so that we could be the kind of people that you made us to be. People who live uh, the traits of, of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, so that we could be people who live a life where we can show those traits but also become a people where, where that just becomes the natural state of our heart over time so that we don't want to lie and deceive and, and be angry and, and judgmental and and hurtful to people but our hearts actually changed over are changed over time the more time we spend with you so help us to have an eager expectation for what you're going to do in our lives and help us know that you welcome us in our brokenness but you don't want us to stay that way and you want to help us to find a path forward and so we trust you with that and we look forward to that and we have our uh, we have joy in Jesus this time of year and every time of year in his beautiful name we pray.